You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin our proceedings here today by calling out to the helping spirits to be with us. So I call out first to your ancestors and to mine. I call out to those ancestral helping spirits who are the people who lived well and died well and bring all that is good and true and beautiful down the ancestral lines into our lives. Those who have gone before us, sharing with us the rich wealth of all that they learned in their lives and offering it to us here and now, offering it to the living. And I ask these ancestors to gather round us and to help us, help us to do what the living must do, especially to meet the challenges of our time with creativity, with a sense of purpose, with a sense of vision, and most importantly, with a sense of understanding the wisdom of the heart. And so I ask these ancestors to gather round and help us to do what must be done for those who are coming. And I ask those ancestors in non-human form to gather round as well, the plants and the animals and the bugs and the birds and the fish, all these uh, beings in form around us, but also those who are not in form, those energies that move through our lives and affect us. I ask those that are compassionate and helpful to gather round to help us to understand what is our potential as a human on this earth and how do we use it in the very, very short time we have to do so. So I call out to the spirit help to be with us here today as we the humans focus in. We find our consciousness and draw it from wherever it is into our mind, from our mind to our heart and our heart to our belly. And we take a moment as we reach from our belly to the earth and we take a moment for gratitude to the earth. Just simple thanks, profound thanks for this day, for life for the miracle of life that each one of us shares, for the great diversity of life around us, the beauty and the possibility. We give thanks for the abundance. We give thanks for the nurturing that comes from the world around us and the way that we are held on this planet at this time. We give thanks to the earth for the wonder of her dreaming that has such great generosity that we the humans can change anything if we choose to as long as we are breathing. So we give great thanks to the earth as we reach our energy down through all the layers of the earth, letting our gratitude radiate out from our heart as we go through the crust of the earth and down into the very center of the earth. And we imagine there in the center this essence energy that is the potential that renews and restores all things. We take a moment to be in the silence, in the stillness, in the peace, in the darkness. And then we draw this energy up, drawing into ourselves, into our lives, into our spirit, into our days, into these proceedings. We draw up this energy that restores and refreshes, rejuvenates, replenishes. We draw this energy up into our bodies. And we ask this energy of the earth to help us understand how to be grounded in our life. To know what we stand for and to stand for it. To take space in our life, to know our sense of sovereignty and dominion and do so in a way that is good for all living things. And we ask the energy of the earth to help us to understand what it means to create a sense of home, a sense of place and belonging. And we ask the energy of the earth to help us to understand how to open our hearts to diversity around us, to set a place at the table for the other to open the doors to those who are in need and to be in this earth in a way that we come to understand once again what it means to be here as one human family. 
And we ask the energy of the earth to help us to understand connection, connection within ourselves, interconnection between ourselves and other things, both in form and not in form. And we ask the energy of the earth to help us in those very special moments, perhaps one in each day that we connect to the great web of life. And from our place in that great web, we take our right relationship with ourself, right relationship with others, right relationship with the environment, and right relationship with the invisible world. And so the, with the energy of the earth helping us to understand how to be manifest in form in a good way, we draw the energy of the earth up from our belly to our heart, from our heart to our mind, and out from our mind we reach out out into the sky above, moving through whatever weather it holds there for you today, out through the atmosphere and all the way out in the cosmos, reaching all the way up to the highest power of the universe and by whatever name you know this energy, know it. Be with it. See yourself in it and it in you and draw this energy down. Drawing it down through all the layers of the sky, bringing into yourself, into these proceedings, into your day. Bringing in the energy of blessing, the energy of protection and generosity, the energy of the benevolence of this universe and the beneficence. We call these energies in from above. We allow them to move into ourselves, move into our day, and move down from head to heart and heart to belly and all the way down to the center of the earth. And so the sky touches the earth and the earth, the sky, through us. We become this place, this meeting of these two great lovers, these legendary lovers from whom all things come. And we ask the big love of these two energies, the earth and sky, to awaken the spirit of our own hearts. And may the crucible of transformation that lives in each of our hearts open up and draw up the fiery passions of the belly that burn only for why you are here. And call down the crystal clarity of the mind that is forever intrigued by why you are here. We call these energies together to dance passionately here in the heart and to move together in such a way that in their dynamic tension they give birth to this third and most sacred thing, which is a sense, a feeling, a knowing, a memory perhaps of why we are here. And may you find in that human heart the courage that you need to do something in this day, large or small, to bring those gifts out into the world. So I give great thanks to the helping spirit energies gathering around us, the earth and sky holding us. And I give thanks to Deb and John and William, to Malama, to Melissa, and all of the listeners who have donated to this show. If this show is meaningful to you in any way, I ask you to acknowledge that it has moved you in the heart, even if it moves you into irritation and frustration or just plain anger. It's been moved you in the heart. And if that is the case, I ask you to do something, large or small, to support the show. Because to allow ourselves, our actions in the world, to be motivated by what moves our heart is the fundamental essence of shamanic action, to let our actions in the world be mediated by the heart. And so I ask you to do something in some way to help the show to grow, to stay vital, to be valid um, as a presence out here in the world. And if you're not able to donate financially, um, please uh, do something else. Use the teachings, share the teachings in your journey circles, um, bring these ideas up into groups that you are part of, um, share the show itself, share the links, um, do whatever it needs to be done for the show to grow. Give me um, your questions about these things, show ideas, whatever it is that will help this to stay alive and vital. And if you would like to donate to the show, please feel free to do so at whyshamanismnow.com at the show website, which is another way to get to the archives of the shows for those of you that do it through iTunes. Um, and you can donate any amount, large or small, in any currency. It doesn't matter. Um, we're grateful for all of it. It all goes directly to keeping the show on the air. And if you are uncomfortable doing that and would simply like a regular old address, you can email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. And I would be happy to give you a regular address for a regular old check. And just keep in mind that my perspective is not that I'm asking anyone out there to give $5,000 to the show. But I'm asking each of you, maybe a 1,000 of you, to each give five. 
And uh, many of you have actually figured out that through PayPal, you can set up your own automatic payment. So if this is something you listen to regularly and you do go, I forgot to donate again, then set up automatic payment. You won't even have to think about it. Um, So thank you to all of you who have figured out one way or another to help me uh, do what I can to keep the show out in the world in a good way. So we are live today. And if you have questions about today's topic, you are welcome to call in at 512-772-1938 or Skype in from co-creatornetwork.com site. Or you can email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. So our topic today is the new age and spiritual integrity in the new world. And years ago, I mean, for those of you that listen to the show regularly, you know that I was pretty much born and raised in average America, pretty, pretty, pretty basic, pretty white, frankly, which isn't really average America anymore, but I'm an old person. So it was back then. And in high school, we had to do a project. And I wanted to do something interesting because by the time I was in June, my junior and senior year in high school, I was pretty bored. And I really wanted to get out of this small town. And I felt really trapped because in, in the 60s and 70s, um, America was still enormously sexist. That young women who would be listening to this show today between the ages of 20 and 40 potentially cannot actually imagine what it was like to be an intelligent girl in small town America. It meant you got shit all the time from kids, from teachers, from adults, from people at the grocery store. It was constant because it was not your place to have your own opinions, to have your own ideas. You know, my right, whatever that might be, to sit here and talk each week on the show was unthinkable when I was a child because I'm a girl, period, just because I'm a girl. So my point is, it was different then. Anyway, and I was bored. Okay, so back to my story. So I was going to do a project on inter- dream interpretation, which was a brand new idea back then. It was a brand new kind of weird idea. This was sort of a science class, and I wanted to do something progressive. And, but I was also a teenager, and I learned the techniques to wake yourself up from your dreams to write them down so you could interpret them. And eventually I was doing this so well that I wasn't really sleeping. And as a teenager, that's not good. So my parents and I decided this was not a good topic, that I needed my sleep. And so I needed to pick a new topic. And so my mom gave – my mom, who was somewhat interested in the human potential movement at the time, gave me a book by George Leonard. And in the book were some really interesting – little practices to show that there was more going on with the energy of the human body than we had any idea because we were very cause and effect back in those days. And, you know, what, for example, the heart math people are saying now about the body's energy and the heart's energy is way beyond what I was reading at this time. But at this time, George Leonard's book was groundbreaking. And so the little example that we did that I showed was this thing he called the energy arm. And you would stick your arm out and uh, try to bend the arm, kind of like kinesiology. And you would stand there and people would, would compliment you. And someone my size, which is not very big, would have an absolutely solid arm, even if the biggest football player in the room came to try to bend it. And similarly, if the biggest football player in the room stood there and listened to people saying awful things about him, I could bend his arm easily. And so this this connection between um, positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, I mean now we have all these really cool experiments all these kids are doing with plants and different things growing with um, – Kind words, unkind words. I mean, this is, this is not new idea now, but back then, this was absolutely groundbreaking. So, so this, was, this was stunning for all of us in high school in this day, that there was something going on energetically in the body that we couldn't see that didn't have to do with the pure Krebs cycle mechanics of the body, and that it somehow connected to 
attitude and to positive reinforcement or negative reinforcement. I mean, the whole thing was really fascinating at that time, especially for someone like me who was actually interested in science, in hard science, to realize that hard science, as fascinating as it was, maybe didn't really have all the answers. And of course, hard science at that time was going into the kind of complex science we have now in theoretical physics and math that is you know, explaining a very, very shamanic universe. So this was, you know, right at the beginning of all of this change. So what was interesting to me, actually, as I researched the show, is I found that that I was pretty much on track in thinking about um, the human potential movement and the new age and shamanism and their kind of relationship. So I was pretty much on track, even though I was a child through all of it. So I don't really remember the facts and the figures, but what really surprised me is here today, 50 years, well, 40 years later today, the very existence of the human potential movement remains an enormous threat uh, to Christian thinkers, uh, religious thinkers and rational thinkers that, that stunned me. To see, I was completely shocked to realize this idea of humans having greater potential was so threatening to so many different uh, schools of thought, even today, 40 years later. So anyway, I mean, when you think about Charles Eisenstein's work in general, but in particular his book that we talked about here on the show, The More Beautiful World Our Hearts Know is Possible – clearly does not work, right? And yet people are deeply entrenched in maintaining it. That's, that's what I just find was so shocked by. It's like, aren't we all on the same page at this point that we have to go forward embracing each other's diversity? Um, so you still get to be rational thinker or Christian thinker, but we need to go forward together. <laughs> it's just astounding to me. So, I mean, you look around at your neighbors and towns and it's really clear the old story is absolutely not sustainable. And so, how can you be threatened by the idea that humans could develop their potential so that they could think and act as better people in the world? I mean, how how is this threatening? It, it's just astounding to me. But anyway, moving along and getting back to my point in this show. So a big part, I think, of the human potential movement is that it became synonymous with the New Age movement. And this is what our show is really about to take. And it's actually responding to a number of questions I get about – Basically, why do you say negative things about the New Age movement? Isn't shamanism New Age? That kind of question that I get. So, so this is what our show is, is about today, is how do we recover from the false promises of the New Age, you know, establish our own spiritual integrity, and engage in becoming the people who can actually write a new story for the new world, you know, a truly new story. So let's review – because I have a feeling that very much like um, young women, um, not necessarily just assuming they have the right to vote and not realizing how hard it was to get that, I have a feeling that we today, those who might be listening to this show, don't really realize how important the human potential movement was. So, so in, re- in review – there was a new form of therapy called humanistic therapy that flourished in the 40s and 50s. And this preceded the birth and really the blossoming of, of the human potential movement. Um, and so the theorists of this humanistic therapy were psychologists who had been heavily influenced by Freud, problematic, but nonetheless, this is the progress of this thought, and Nietzsche. Um, and the names in this movement that we might recognize would be like Abraham Maslow, you know, Maslow's Pyramid of Need or whatever that is, and Fritz Perl. So, I mean, we learned about some of these ideas in regular old American public school education. So these are – these ended up being pretty common names. So hu- these humanistic psychotherapies were the theoretical foundation of the human potential movement. Um, and the human potential movement really emerged in the 60s and the 70s. So this is really emerging then in my childhood. So the big deal happened in 1962 when Michael Murphy and Dick Price, who were two Stanford graduates, founded a small retreat and workshop center called Esalen Institute. Um, and 
being the geniuses that they were, they put this site on an absolutely exquisite, though somewhat remote, coastline in the middle of nowhere um, in what is basically Big Sur, California. And, of course, this happened to be a natural hot springs that offered soaks on the cliffs looking out over the Pacific Ocean with migrating whales and great food and massages. And, you know, it was a great idea. So their goal, though, in the beginning, their goal was, and and understand, this is the beginning. There were no other retreat centers like this at this time. This was a brand new idea. So their goal was to create a space where people could explore and practice what Aldous Huxley called human potentialities. So now we have Huxley involved, right? So these are really the thinkers of our time. You know, these are not crazy, wacky people. These are the people who were willing to think new ideas, new thoughts. Um, And so these human potentialities of Huxley's work are, are really considered fundamental to this Uh, movement to the human potential movement so unbeknownst to my little teenage brain back in the 70s george leonard who had opened up my mind as a child really would eventually become eslin's president in 2005 and um you know he was a well-known writer and researcher and figure here in this human potential movement so the list of lecturers there in, in the early days in eslin they're huge. They're the avant-garde thinkers and artists, psychologists and philosophers of our time, you know, current and our time. So Eric Erickson, Ken Kesey, Alan Watts, John Lilly, Buckminster Fuller, Aldous Huxley, Linus Pauling, Fritz Perl, Joseph Campbell, Robert Bly, Carl Rogers. And yes, they're all men. The human potential movement is generally distinguished by the following emphasis. So there's a focus on each person's independent and autonomous growth rather than uh, reshaping individuals to fit society's expectations. And, and, and remember, this is happening in the 60s and 70s. And so there's a response to these very rigid roles that had locked down for men and women in the 50s in an effort to get the women back into the kitchen where they belonged after we had put them to work to support World War II. So once again, to understand any of this, we have to remember what was going on in the bigger world. Anyway, the human potential movement also has a a value for having a holistic approach um, concerned with the development of a person. And so it was looking at the interrelationship of the different levels of human functioning, physical, emotional, psychological, spiritual, creative, intuitive, all of this stuff, and behavior, uh, which meant practices had to be experiential versus entirely intellectual and didactic. And so this is also a big deal because these people were academics. They were the foremost researchers of our time, and they're starting to realize to explore what they're exploring, we have to move out of this purely intellectual realm of learning and move into experience. So the human potential movement also focuses on good psychological health, you know, whatever that means. I think the definition of that is certainly evolving um, continuously since then, but But the fact that there was a psychology and that it could have a health that was good or bad was a very new idea. And, of course, the precursor to what I harp about all the time, which is actually developing into having a true spiritual maturity and and having this psychological health and well-being to support that. So, you know, obviously – these human – the human potential movement was rediscovering the values – that are inherent or were inherent in ancient shamanic cultures. But they're not doing that because they're looking at shamanic cultures. They're doing that because they're discovering this as contemporary people moving fully forward with their minds in the field of research that they're in. Okay, so I'm getting distracted. Okay, so the human potential movement also had a focus on liberation from feelings of repression, shame, guilt, self-doubt, judgment, and fear um, that is rooted in either unresolved issues from childhood, although I'm not sure how conscious they were about that part at that time, but also the rigidity of a dominant culture. 
this dominant culture that was really defining this this uber male and uber female and anything else was wrong. Now, clearly, that was never going to work. But anyway, moving along. Um, and finally, sort of the fifth characteristic of the human potential movement was a commitment to the belief that the human mind had the capacity to support becoming self-actualized, which meant that the person was capable of maturity, self-awareness, independence, and authenticity. This is important. In other words, you weren't just an automaton doing exactly what your parents had done, but you had the possibility to be something more. Um. So you have to remember or perhaps to realize in the first place where American minds were coming from at this time. Uh, Once again, this is only one generation ago. I mean, I'm not talking about the long distance path. I'm talking about my lifetime, you know, one generation ago. So a writer, uh, Deborah Oliver, quotes Gordon Wheeler, who was Esalen's president, uh, describing this time. Because, and I'm, I'm sharing this quote because, frankly, again, I'm just I'm shocked to remember what it was like to be an adult at that time. I mean, I was a kid at that time, but to be an adult at that time. So he said there was something called therapy back then, and it was for sick people. Basically, back then, you got out of college and you'd be done. You'd worry about your pension plan. He said, I was a kid in the 50s, and my brother-in-law was already five years out of school with two little babies and a mortgage. And he wanted to go back to grad school to get a PhD in chemistry, but my father thought that it was the end of the world. This is what his father said to his brother-in-law. Ted, your choices in life have been made. You have to think about retirement and security. You're 27 years old, for goodness sakes. Can you imagine? There are 27-year-olds today that's living on their parents' couches. Now, not that that's a good thing, but, but think about that is how rigid and, and dialed in the intention was culturally. At 27 years old, you should be focused not on the quality of your life, but on your retirement plan, for goodness sakes. So in the same way uh, that a young woman today uh, who have the freedom to write their own songs and to sing them publicly – And to travel all around the world singing them without chaperones. And to make their own money from this activity. They have no idea that it's only because of the feminist movement that they have this reality to live in. And that only a generation ago, there is no way this could have happened. And so this is what I mean about, this is an aspect I think of today's culture and, and part of what I think has been the problem of the new age is in this me culture, people think they're entitled to everything and have absolutely no idea where things came from and what it would mean to be responsible towards the abundance they have in their life and to, be, um, and to have gratitude for those who went before them who didn't have it. So anyway – We don't realize that there was a time, one short generation ago, not in the distance path, not in your grandparents' era, but one generation ago when no one talked about a body-mind connection. They didn't talk about yoga or tai chi or meditation or meetup groups to do any of these things. They didn't talk about life coaches or spiritual development outside of church or temple. And it wasn't spiritual development. You just got the program. You didn't develop. You just accepted the program, right? And personal development. We didn't talk about that at all. And we certainly didn't talk about shamanism. Well, sort of, but we'll get to that. So the important thing to remember is in, in the 60s, this was radical for its time. Thinking about it, much less doing it. So Wheeler, you know, the president of Esalen, said this. It was wild back then to think that you could open this crazy place at the end of a godforsaken road at the edge of the Pacific and bring really remarkable people to speak and that you could invite people to come and learn from them for the weekend. And there would be no degrees given, no credits given, no points accrued or anything. Who would ever come? What kind of business model was that? The market niche didn't exist. Eslin was the first. And eventually the women would come. 
and be and many of the women identified in the movement would be someone like Barbara Marks Hubbard, Marianne Williamson, Jean Houston. I mean, but part of the reason the human potential movement and the new age have both faltered is that they are both deeply embedded in the old story. And it took a certain amount of consciousness, about 50 years of consciousness for us to be able to look back and see that and kind of go, oh shit, we're embedded in the old story. And the simple fact that it took forever to even listen to the women is part of the proof of that. So anyway, in review, we're still reviewing. So along the way, of the human potential movement, there emerged a fork in the road called the New Age Movement. So this is a branch of the human potential movement that was mostly inspired by those who wanted to reach their new level of human consciousness. I mean, there was huge amounts of money being poured into research on the brain at this time. It was the most interesting thing. I mean, if you went back and looked at Time Magazine and Life Magazine, you'd see articles for lay people about what they were learning about the brain. I mean, it was a really big, exciting thing at the time. And so one of the things that happened then is in their uh, reach, to, in their, their effort to reach these new levels of human consciousness, this sort of new age movement decided they wanted to reach them through the use of chemical substances like LSD and plant medicines like peyote and psilocybin mushrooms, which of course are more available in North and Central America. So these two movements, the new age movement and the human potential movement are often lumped together. But really, they were an expression of two very different ideals. So, but nonetheless, I mean, you did have, you know, right back at Esalen, you did have notable LSD researcher Stanislav Grof. You know, and Stan Grof is the person who really brought forward holotropic breath work. And some of you use that as your means of shamanic journeying. I mean, so we have Stan Groff's work and um, Timothy Leary was at Harvard and they presented their work and their ideas at Esalen and they were deep and Lily. I mean, these, these guys were all deeply into the LSD research. So this had a huge impact on American culture and in particular on the boomer generation and the inevitable uh, given the groundedness in the old story, the inevitable uh, manifestation as the 80s me culture. So this part of the movement dove into the what was the pursuit of consciousness into the pursuit of my personal consciousness raising. And they did this, the New Age movement did this in a way that turned people away from political action and social engagement. I mean, other than social engagement, that was taking more LSD with other people. I mean, you know, so it was common to hear people say, change starts with me, which isn't untrue, but in the New Age movement, it tends to stop there. It tends to start and stop there. So this is what I see as the distinction between these two groups. The human potential movement continued to explore and experience and then ask, so what? In other words, I, I've, I've had this awareness. I've made this change. I've learned this new skill. So what? In other words, how does it make me a better person in the world? How do I apply this to how I live my life? How do I affect a change in the larger world of which I am a part so that's the focus, really, of the human potential movement. The New Age movement has no value for that asking. They don't ask, so what? It's just give me more. You know, more ayahuasca, more this, more that. Wow, I, I have people come to me now that have done ayahuasca 150, 200 times. And I'm looking at it going, why? I mean, I can't imagine a valid reason to do that other than the fact that you are actually a shaman who works with ayahuasca to do your healing. I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievably solipsistic from my perspective, which is, again, just my perspective. So this, but this is my point about the distinction between the human potential movement and the New Age movement. And, and yes, these two movements are intertwined and confused in people's minds and basically treated as the same thing. But if you were a person involved in it, I've read a lot of the writings of the people involved in the movement that many of them really saw this fork in the road. And some liked both parts of the fork and some people really went one way or the other. 
Right. Either in staying in the human potential movement or really moving into the new age. So while the background in the human potential movement and its focus on individual group ther- and individual and group therapeutic approaches, the new age swung people further from social awareness. In other words, move people away from caring about how my supposedly raised consciousness will actually benefit something larger than myself. And so the tendency to focus on tapping into one's inner resources or inner potential meant that that focus was always on doing this for myself and away from the group. So this is where shamanism, actual shamanism, could have been helpful um, because it would have offered a new cosmology to people at this time. So as they're expanding their mind through hallucinogens, that they would have been expanding it in more of a shamanic context. So expanding into a cosmology that had some uh, sense to it. And so, you know, what shamanism offers, number one, that is very different. What a shamanic cosmology offers, I mean, other than just the cosmology itself, but what it offers to us as people recovering from the old story, which is a story of separation, dominance, and aggression, as, as fundamental nature of things, moving into a shamanic perspective where the fundamental nature of things is a complementary dualism, that things work together, and that there is a direct engagement between the physical world and the non-physical world and standard practices to do that, and that it's normal. It's not weird or occult or some of the other language that we use around that. That shamanism offers us an awareness that we are all connected and therefore everything affects everything versus we're all connected. Isn't that wonderful? Let's all drop some more acid. I mean, it's just like, no, the fact that we're all connected means everything I do, no matter what state of consciousness I'm in, is affecting everything else all the time. It is an enormous responsibility and requires for me to for me to carry that responsibility well, I need to have a profound caring for what is other than myself. And and that's a fundamental aspect of shamanic cosmologies is that understanding if I understand the energetics and the movement between the worlds, then I see constantly the effect of each to the other and that I understand my profound place in that, not because I'm so important, but because in my ignorance, I can do such a profound amount of damage. So in a shamanic cosmology, there's also this really high value for the creation of sustainable culture. Um, Cultures that are sustainable within themselves and cultures that are sustainable in their own environment. And that money or whatever system exchange there is, is just simply part of that sustainable culture. It is not the point of the culture. And so in a shamanic cosmology, what shamanism could have offered us at that time is also awareness of everything being larger than the self. And thus valuing the whole and the community while at the same time valuing the unique gifts of the individual. And this is one of the fallacies that I really see in the New Age and the sort of cultishness of the New Age, where, where it's cultish, is this devaluing of the individual utterly for the community versus shamanic cultures that have a really passionate, dynamic tension between the community and the individuals that brings out the gifts of the individual to give to the community and the community supports supports the individual in doing that and the individual understands their mature role in the community and their part in keeping the community in place because the community is going to support them and living their gifts you know it's this very circular it's iny it's this constant cycling and exchange of energy and and the understanding because of the fundamental understanding of complementary dualism that this is the only way things actually work sustainably and that we need to participate in that and then the other thing that shamanism offered which we desperately needed then and need now is really clear standards for maturity and health that involve the four wisdoms the four wise bodies not just the mind but the heart the physical body and the spiritual body and that and that maturity means being able to access all four wisdoms and engage them all in my process of thinking and making decisions in my life and valuing them equally 
So in other words, the shared failure that I see in both the human potential movement and the new age is their inability to see that they were firmly rooted in the cosmology of the old story of separation, dominance, and antagonism. Now, at the same time, they didn't have the consciousness to see that. They couldn't, you know, it's like we can't see ourselves. And so in many ways, we had to move through these decades of consciousness raising, frankly, to get to a point where we look back and say, oh, shit. I am deeply rooted in the old story. How do I now use what I've learned in the human potential movement to get out of that? And I think that the human potential movement did give us some of those tools. I I know shamanism does, but I don't really think the new age does. It's simply too superficial and self-focused. So then when all of this is going on, of course, in the background, the one thing that a lot of people didn't mention in the research that I did, but I know was profound effect on all of this, is you add Carlos Castaneda in the mix. I mean, his first book, The Teachings of Don Juan, was published in 1968. So this is right when all this is happening. And it was hugely successful. It still is. I mean, at this point in time, it sold 28 million copies or something like that. It's huge. And so people were introduced to this idea that there was an ancient precedent to this self-development in the human potential movement and, um, and that there was this possibility of spiritual development inspired by, frankly, peyote and this, these vague teachings of Don Juan, this supposedly shamanic teachings. And so this is the beginning, really, of our further confusion which is the confusion of the sorcerer's path to personal power being confused with the shamanic path of cultivating communal power. And by 1974, so we're still right in the thick of this movement, Carlos published his fourth book, Tales of Power. You know, it's, and, and, and what Carlos was writing began to pass as shamanism, and it gets absorbed into the new age. And so this has been the focus on self-actualization as a path of maturity. So what had been that focus um, of of the human potential movement of self-actualization as a path to maturity, independence from cultural expectation, authenticity, and self-awareness, then – uh, to, to have those things and look out and address the issues of our time. So what had been that focus became through the minds of the new age and people that were reading Carlos and trying to go find peyote really turned from the path of self-actualization and service to a path of personal power, purely. And this to me is the central distinction between the new age thought and shamanic thought. That new age is entirely self-centered. How much enlightenment can I get for me? While the true shamanic thought is community or wholeness centered. It, it's about the, the, the so what. So how much enlightenment can I get so that I am able to bring my gifts to the world? You know, so that I am able to serve the community, I'm able to serve the environment, that I'm able to be of service to life. Okay, so the New Age doesn't ask people to look deeply at themselves, to learn a new life skill, or to take responsibility for their stories and what they create in the world. And her adherence to the New Age, t- so New Agey things in my mind basically say, do this one thing and it will fix everything. You know, whether they're talking about shamanism or visualization or many of these systems that are all about, it's all in your mind, right? You just need to control your mind and you can control your world. You know, it's just this one thing and you can have everything you want. Just do this one thing right and you can have everything you want. That tends to be the underlying message in what I consider new agey things. And with this value being cultivated for disconnecting from any care to the community or and the environment we see this modern development then in what evolved from the human potential movement to the new age movement even though the human potential movement is continuing as well but we see this this new age movement and then this very contemporary tie-in in where self-actualization begins to mean business success or financial success getting what i want Right, So the focus is no longer even about the actual actualization of the self, but it's about the full-on manifestation of, frankly, old story cultural values, more stuff, more money, more sex, more whatever, right? So 
it's no longer about what can I bring to the world, but it's about how much can I get from the world. And the focus was on the potential for the focus that was on the potential for mature expression of self became simply the expression of self. Or what I call regularly on this show, having exactly what you want when you want it, regardless of the cost and regardless of whether or not you merit that abundance or richness in your life. And what I mean by merit is not about your inherent value because we all have an inherent value. But is what I mean by merit is do your actions merit that? In other words, do your actions in relationship lead you to a healthy relationship? If not, then you don't merit a healthy relationship until you change your behavior. And this is the problem with the new age is it really ties into this idea that everyone is entitled to everything no matter how they behave. And that is simply wrong. It doesn't work that way. That is not how the world works. And people that are selling you that bill of goods are getting rich off your naivete and your willingness to think that that could be true. So I feel personally that the human potential movement has really been hurt by the New Age movement. Now, it did open the way to many really – the human potential movement did open the way – for many really important things in our world. It opened people up to new ways and new forms of thinking. It opened people up to new ways of looking at psychotherapy from Freud, thank you, from trauma-based mechanistic model of life to modalities that could help people flourish beyond a mode of thinking that created the problem in the first place. It opened people um, through, throughout society to the awareness that other cultures have practices that cultivate the wisdom of the body and the wisdom of the heart and the wisdom of the spirit and that the mind and rational thought isn't the only source of wisdom that there is. And the, the human potential movement taught people um, not just to become better problem solvers, you know, better at getting what they want in the world, but it taught people to become better people. And it taught people to become better people in practice, not just theory. I can't tell you how many people sit in my office and they talk about this thing that they're doing. And I just say, well, but is it working for you? And they're well, like, um, well, no, but. It's like, is it working? You know, is it practiced? Okay. So the human potential moment did open a way to really important things for our world um, as we lived through this end of the old world and this beginning of the new world. And it's really important that there were and are people holding a vision of what could be. We owe the people of the human potential movement a great debt of gratitude. And we, we, just like those female rock stars that think they aren't feminists, could not be doing what they're doing without feminism, the feminist movement. We couldn't be doing this right here, right now. I couldn't be doing this show and you couldn't be listening if it were not for the human potential movement. And so the human potential movement continues in the work of people like Jean Houston, Barbara Marks Hubbard is continuing to work. I mean, it's amazingly prolific in her work in um, what is now called evolutionary spirituality. And then, of course, the substantial work and writings of people like Deepak Chopra, Andrew Wilde, Gary Zukov, Andrew Cohen, Ken Wilber, you know, all of this, this cast of characters, right? Um, and nonetheless... The new age continues. I mean, these are good people doing good work, offering us real things that can help us open our human potential, as does shamanism. Nonetheless, the new age continues because people simply want a shortcut. They want to get around feeling things or doing work or changing themselves. In other words, they want what they feel they're entitled to without meriting it through their own efforts. And this is, this is in part been caused by a misuse of these new ideas that came out of the human potential movement and particularly the new age movement. Okay. So a listener asked me, actually we were emailing and they said, well, but Christina, they said, so what's the difference between new age and shamanism? And one of the first things I said is it's people who want a shortcut. And the listener emailed back immediately. You talk all the time about creating shortcuts. What's the difference? It's like, well, good question, right? But the thing is, when I talk about shortcuts, 
I'm talking about a shortcut through the work, not around the work. And this is really the difference between fooling yourself about what is actually a spiritual bypass around that which needs to change, rather than being offered a really effective way to engage with what needs to change and make the changes so that you are able to be different in the world. And that's what I mean by a shortcut. It's a way to actually engage the problem and do so in a really efficient, energy-efficient, time-efficient way because we're using shamanic skills versus some of the other things we could be using that are perhaps part of the human potential movement but require a long time to get to the same result. But the point is, whether we're doing in my shortcut or the human potential long way around, we are doing what needs to be done. We are engaging the energies that need to be addressed inside of ourselves and in our world versus what I consider the new age, which is wanting a shortcut that makes me feel like I'm being spiritual, but doesn't require I actually deal with anything inside of myself that keeps me from acting in the world as someone who is truly listening to their spirit, listening to their heart, whatever it might be. So, This show, as I said in the beginning, comes from several listeners asking me what I feel is the difference between the New Age and shamanism. So, and to be honest, this show also comes right now at this time because I'm offering a bridge for those of you who may be realizing that you are spinning your wheels in the seductive promises of the New Age movement. And so I'm offering a bridge in this week-long retreat called the wisdom of the shaman in everyday life between this wheel spinning in the new age to a place where you can get your rubber on the road without losing too much ground and can begin to go forward in a good way. Um, So the registration is open for this class. It's in a month. It's July 13th through 18th at the Omega Institute, which of course only exists because of the human potential movement and because of Esalen. You know, and so once again, we, this opportunity to come and do this work with me, to get your rubber on the road, to learn some skills so you can actually engage and go forward in a good way in your life, become a better person, affect your world in a better way. You know, this is only possible because of the human potential movement. I mean, it's also only possible because of shamanism, but I wouldn't have a place to do this with you if it weren't for the human potential movement because no one would have ever built Omega. So... Anyway, so that's why this show right now, because it helps me to talk about why you might want to come and spend a week learning about the wisdom of the shaman in everyday life, because you may realize I am in the new age and I'm not getting anywhere and I need to jump ship, but I want to do it in a way that I don't lose ground, that I don't have to start over again. And that's what the class really offers. So what I see in the new age movement, and I consider all of this Uh, popular use of shamanic plant hallucinogens as part of the new age movement, right? It's not part of shamanism. It's too superficial. So fundamental to shamanism is service to the world, service to life, service to our community. It is the willingness to balance my self-interest and the sense of what is my unique gift with an awareness of the need to give that gift And to do so in a way that is gentle to our world and to keep a vigilant awareness focused on the next generations who are coming so that I do what I do in a way that the world is a beautiful place for them to come into. So it is possible to practice anything that is potentially powerful in a new age version, including shamanism. Right? And so what I would say if uh, is sort of the hallmark of new aginess in any practice, be it meditation, be it Buddhism, be it shamanism, be it whatever. It doesn't really matter. The main thing is that there is a fundamental irresponsibility in its self-centeredness. And that there is a, is a complete lack of awareness that everything I do is affecting everything else. And therefore, I must take responsibility. There is a profound naivete that everything in the invisible world is only in my mind. So if I control my mind, I control my world. 
And that is not true. There is a important thing in shamanism in understanding the role of your mind. But it's not all in your mind. You are not God. Naivete also in the new age that everything in the invisible world is safe for humans and compassionate towards our self-awareness and health and that's absolutely not true and yet the new age tends to uh, uh, present that idea in the new age there also tends to be a very immature idolatry of teachers and gurus of giving giving up of personal power to these people and following people who want you to do that And also in the new age, there tends to be a naive sense that if I keep doing the same thing over and over again without results, I will at some point in the future get results. And that flies in the face of shamanism, which is fundamentally about practicality. So so in contrast, where the new age offers this irresponsible self-centeredness, shamanism offers you a cosmology and the ability to find your place within it. So there's this constant dualistic awareness, complementary dualism between myself in the center and the cosmology around me and how, how these two things uh, breathe with each other, right? And so where in the new age, there's this naive sense that everything in the visible world is only in my mind. I just need mind control, right? There's practices out there called the whatever mind control, right? So shamanism teaches you about understanding how your mind is programming you in the world. And and it's what I talk about in learning about the stories and learning how to change the stories you're telling yourself because the story you tell yourself completely colors what you see in the world around you. And if you ever want to see reality, you need to clear your stories. And so there's certainly work in shamanism around the mind, but it is not this naive idea that it's just all about mind control and it's all in my mind. It's about understanding what is in your mind and what isn't. How do I work with my mind and the dreaming and the visionary capacity of shamanism? And how do I apply myself to the things that aren't just in my mind? So where... The new age is naive that everything in the invisible world is safe for humans and and it's all good and it all wants the best for us. Shamanism definitely offers a real practical skills and understanding for how to engage safely with what is actually going on in the invisible world. And that's, of course, the hallmark of shamanism specifically. In contrast to this immature idolatry of teachers and gurus in the New Age, shamanism offers a very balanced relationship between the individual and the community, between leaders and those who are not currently leading. There's a lot of shared leadership or leadership by, via council. Um, and this is very distinct from cults and other problematic relationships where someone gives themselves up entirely to the service of community or is entirely self-centered. These, these, these two things in their extreme are both equally unhealthy. And shamanism is always looking for that, teaching us to walk that balance and keep that t- tension between the two, between the individual and the community and the bigger world. And shamanism... Uh, other than this naivete about, you know, doing the same thing over and over again. If I just do it right, it'll all work. You know, that's way out of the old story, right? Shamanism is practical at its core. If it's not working, we ask why. And that is the beauty of the shamanic skills is it allows – and sometimes helping spirits say shut up and keep doing it. And you're like, okay, fine. I'll keep practicing. But oftentimes they help us understand why it's not working at this time. And sometimes it's not working because we're not doing the right thing. That we are trying to get around the issue instead of being willing to go into it and to work with it. And this to me has been the enormous gift as, as in my own little life I tumbled from the human potential movement into shamanism was learning this practice that I call the cycle teachings that is purely about how do we as contemporary people who are not indigenous people – with coherent communities. But how do we as contemporary people use these shamanic skills to rebuild our healthy sense and mature sense of self, healthy and mature sense of community, so we can function in the world as the medicine for the world, not the disease.
So I want to give thanks to the helping spirits for gathering round, the earth below, the sky above, and the heart in the center that unites us all. I'll remind you again that the Wisdom for the Shaman in Everyday Life is happening July 13th through 15th, yes, just a month from now, at the Omega Institute, and you can register at Omega. If you can't find that, you can go to my website at lastmasscenter.org, go to July, click the link, go to the Omega registration. But also, if you want to skip that basic step and get into the cycle teachings, I mean, if you're listening to this radio show you're called to these teachings because there's nothing in this show that doesn't, well, other than the guests, that doesn't come out of the cycle teachings. And that begins in August. That begin, that cycle teaching begins again in August. And that registration is also available. And the early registration discount is up on June 20th, and that is this Friday. So I encourage you to go to the website and register there as well. So thank you, everyone, for listening this week. And keep in mind, there is a bridge from the new age. You can recover. Thank you.